0: Good morning, Mercy Hill. My name is Jared. I'm one of the elders here. And we're uh, just excited to be together today. Grateful to be able to gather uh, with the body of Christ, with the church, and um, this weekend we were able to host a a soma saturate the South event, and so yesterday we had people in this building, and we got to hear great teaching from uh, from Jeff Schulte and Jeff Vanderstelt, and so God has has been at work um, in this building already this weekend, and we know that God wants to continue. Uh, what he's been up to even this morning. And so we're excited that uh, that God has something to say to us today. We believe that God's spirit speaks to us and we believe that he lives inside of us. So that's something that we can celebrate and something that we can gather around this morning. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me and we're going to start with a word of prayer. Father we are grateful for this morning God I'm thankful for the body of Jesus for the body of Christ that is in this room God thank you for the for the relationships and the friendships that exist here God thank you for for friends who feel like family God when, when we gather together God it feels in some ways like a family reunion brothers and sisters in Christ and so God we are thankful for that truth uh, God, thank thank you that it's it's not just a, a feeling we have, but God, it's it's true uh, that we're adopted into Your family, and so God, this morning as we sing songs about You and God, as we hear Your Word taught, and God, even as we hear uh, a children's story read from from a. Uh, from the Jesus Storybook Bible, God, I pray that all things that happen in this place would bring your name glory, that God, it would point us to Jesus because God, you are the one who can satisfy the deepest needs and desires of our souls. And God, we confess that we often try to satisfy those desires in so many other places. God, so many places that this world says will fulfill us. But God, we know, God, from experience, and God, we know from your word that, God, those things are not true. That, God, ultimately, only Jesus is enough. So, God, where we don't believe that this morning, God, help us believe it. God, where our hearts believe lies that Satan has told us, God, speak your truth. And, God, give us ears to hear. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Good morning.
1: If you would, uh, we're coming into a time of worship. And let's, uh, let's read... Scripture together this morning. John 4. You're welcome to read it along with me. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. If you would bow your heads with me. As we come into a time of confession, just ask if you would just reflect for a moment on, on the week that has just happened. Thinking about the times that we've spent together, the times we've spent apart, the, God, the times that we spent with God and our, in our uh, quiet times, and, and then we'll pray together after that. Heavenly Father, as we come before you as broken but lovers of you God God we ask for your healing God we ask that you heal us of the guilt and the shame that we feel within the sins of our day and our week God change our hearts and help us to turn our backs to the repetitive sins in our lives God guide us down a path of righteousness towards you God we love you we thank you for all you've done for us I pray amen as we come out of a time of confession there is a point of redemption a point of assurance of pardon and we're going to read a scripture that points toward that assurance of pardon it's Ephesians 4 31 through 32 and again you're welcome to read it with me out loud let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you.
2: It's a race to see who can get back there first. See how excited they are, Ms. Caitlin. Good morning, kids, the rest of you, big kids that are left. Um, I'd love to share a story with you today called The Man Who Didn't Have Any Friends, None. It's from Luke 19 in the New Testament. There was once a man who didn't have any friends, none. Do you have any friends? Well, of course you do, but not Zacchaeus. Poor Zacchaeus didn't have any. You're probably wondering why. Was it because he was so short? No, that's not a reason to not like someone. Was it because he had a name that was hard to say? No, I have a a name that's hard to say. That's not it either. Even though he was short and he did have a funny name, that wasn't it. No, people didn't like Zacchaeus because he stole their money. Zacchaeus collected taxes. Taxes were what people had to pay the king. But Zacchaeus took more than he was supposed to and kept the extra money for himself and made himself rich. Everyone knew what he was up to and it made them cross and grumpy. So they made sure he knew it by doing things like avoiding him and walking on the opposite side of the street and pretending not to see him and whispering things like, there's that nobody who thinks he's a somebody loud enough so he could hear. Anyway, one day, a huge crowd gathered by the road. Jesus was coming to their town, and everyone wanted to see him. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus too, but everyone was too tall. He tried jumping up and down, but that didn't work. He couldn't see a thing. Luckily, Zacchaeus had a good idea. I'll climb that sycamore tree, he said. So he did. He was surprised that he had to take a flying leap just to get into his chair in the morning. From the tree, Zacchaeus had the perfect view all the way down the road. Another minute and suddenly Jesus was at the tree. He stopped and looked up. Zacchaeus saw Jesus and Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I'd like to come over to your house. Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree. Come over to his house? No one ever wanted to come anywhere near his house, let alone inside it. The people saw this, and needless to say, it made them even crosser and grumpier than usual. They mumbled and murmured and muttered, Why is Jesus being kind to this big sinner? Doesn't Jesus know about him? Zacchaeus scrambled down and took Jesus to his house. He was in a big hurry because he didn't want Jesus to change his mind. Perhaps Jesus hadn't heard about him. Perhaps Jesus didn't know about how he had been stealing and how no one liked him and how he didn't have any friends. But Jesus knew. He knew all about Zacchaeus and the stealing and everything, and he still loved him. Zacchaeus was ashamed. Lord, he said, turning pale, what I've done is wrong, but now I want to do the right thing. I will give the money back to everyone four times what I stole. And that's just what he did. Jesus smiled. My friend, he said, today God has rescued you. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when nobody else did. He was Zacchaeus' friend even when no one else was. Because Jesus was showing people what God's love was like. His wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Will you pray with me please? Father... Thank you so much for this story. Father, I resonate so much with Zacchaeus that on my own, I am selfish. I am consumed with my own glory, my own riches, making everything about me, Father. But Lord, the beauty of this story is not that Zacchaeus changed his life. No, the beauty of this story is that Jesus opened Zacchaeus' eyes. Father, Would you open our eyes for those of us who are not yet believers, Lord? Would you take the blindfold off, Father? Would you allow us to be able to see your deep, deep love for us, Father? On his own, Zacchaeus could do nothing right, Father. Just like on my own, I can do nothing right, Lord. But you gave Zacchaeus a new heart. And when we place our trust in you, Lord, you give us a new heart as well. And through the Holy Spirit at work within us, Father, we are able to carry out your purposes here on earth. Father, I pray for the hearts of each one of these children, Lord, that they would know the deep and abiding love of Jesus Christ, that it would change every part of their lives just like it changed every part of Zacchaeus' life, Father. And that in your perfect and sovereign timing, Lord, there would be a day when they would be able to see clearly what you've done for them, Lord and that they would trust you as their Savior and Lord. Father, thank you for how you've done that in my life. Thank you for how you removed the shackles from my eyes, Lord, and you allowed me to be able to see clearly my need for a Savior. Thank you for the way that you have changed my life from the inside out, Father. And thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that allows me to imperfectly, but allows me to carry out your purposes while you have me here on earth, Lord. We love you and we are so grateful for how you've changed our lives. Have you given us a new heart? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Thanks, Alyssa. Well, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. If we haven't met, my name's Brad. I'm one of the elders. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I wanted to start out this morning and just say thanks. Um, Most of you were here yesterday and we had about... I don't know how many people were in the building. We had 125 or so who were registered for the event. And I just want to say, especially if you volunteered yesterday, it was a long day. It was a very, very, very good day. And I want to say thanks to you. And um, especially thanks to Samantha, I was thinking. uh, I think easily she probably put 100 hours in that event. And she's just a volunteer. And um, so if you've ever been to an event that looks pretty simple... And it's like, oh, this doesn't look like it was that hard. Then you know, if you know anything about leadership, make it look that easy. And that was yesterday. It was it was a great day. And I'm um, so thankful we were able to serve um, our friends in the Selma family of churches. And um, that we had so many people who were here from multiple states and... Always thankful for Vanderstelt and Schulte. Those guys are such a blessing to us. So I think what we're going to look at today in Philippians is going to to tie in just a little bit with what we heard yesterday. I know that you guys, if you were anything like me, you went home and you were tired. And so the passage we're looking at today, I've actually split it up. So what we're going to get today is really Philippians chapter 1. We were looking at verses 27 through 30. You're really just going to get part 1, and then we'll look at part 2 next week. So we are literally only looking at Philippians one 27a. Okay, and when you see the verses, you'll understand why we're only we're going to save a portion for next week. But I think this will serve you well. I think it'll be really practical for you. And um, so, I've entitled this message "Real Spirituality," and I hope that as we look at this text, that you will be able to make some progress in not only just uh, in real spirituality. We'll just say it that way. Let's look together at Philippians one verse. 27 and I'm going to read to verse 30 to give us context. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him. But also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. And now hear that I still have. We're finishing up this section in Philippians, in the introduction in which Paul is writing from prison. And Paul is sharing some of the details of his imprisonment. And in these final verses, he offers encouragement to walk worthy of the gospel. Walk worthy of of the gospel. And that's really just a phrase that we're going to consider this morning. And that phrase could easily be taken out of context as a type of kind of pull yourself up by your moral bootstraps or white knuckle discipline your way to spirituality. But that type of religious fervor, it's often mistaken for spirituality. But all the while, Paul instructs us to walk. ...in a manner worthy of the gospel. Which means that we're walking by grace. Because the gospel is grace. And there is no other gospel outside of grace. So today we're looking at this idea of real spirituality. For some, this translates to a list of sins to avoid. And let's just be super practical. Some of you know an individual... A pastor or someone who is a spiritual leader who handpicked some certain sins and confronted you? Or even worse, I've talked to multiple non-believers who their experience is somebody got in my face and said you shouldn't be doing that. You ever had that experience before? And you came off with this view that was like, if that's what Christianity is about, a list of really not do's and don'ts, but just a list of don'ts, then I don't know that I want to have anything to do with that. And for some of the people that I've talked with, I mean, this was like decades ago. And it's put huge barriers between them and the conversation that I'm having. So for many people, they think of real spirituality as sins to avoid. And some of you, if you come from a... How many of you grew up in a Southern Baptist church? Okay, a few of us. So growing up in a Southern Baptist church, a few of you may be able to identify with me in this, but as a teenager, it seemed like the church was most interested in what I didn't do that I didn't drink, or that I didn't curse, or that I didn't have sex before marriage, and that I didn't listen to the wrong kind of music. You know? Anybody identify with me here? I mean, okay, so I grew up, born in 76, this is bicentennial baby, so I'm like, I graduated from high school in 95, so I'm a little older than y'all, but I'm like late 80s. You know, early 90s, this was still like Christian contemporary music was coming on the scene. So like Amy Grant and Stephen Curtis Chapman and Rich Mullins, if you were a Christian hippie. And you were like, and we were still like trying to figure out if you really could play ACDC backwards. And if it was like, would say something demonic, Highway to Hell or whatever, you know. And... So that's kind of the the mentality that I grew up with, you know. You don't listen to rap, just period. You know, naughty by nature. Y- y- y'all remember all this? Like that was the that that was this cultural bubble kind of mentality, and it was all about sins to avoid. But then I've, I've met other people who, for them, real spirituality seems to be gathered around. And let me say this. We laugh at these stories because they're funny, first off, right? I mean, you go back and listen to DC Talk, and y'all, you had a subwoofer in your trunk bumping to DC Talk and Toby Mac, and you look back at that, and you're like, I was ridiculous, right? Can we all admit I was ridiculous? Okay, but I still like DC Talk, um, Anyhow, here's my point. We laugh at that, but we are a people who are defined by story. And I was thinking about that this morning as we were worshiping, and there was this little moment where, um, God, I was... There's someone that I kind of... I know a lot of your stories. And I saw something and God moving in someone, and I was like, it brought me to tears. And I was reminded that we are all people... Of story. And oftentimes for me as a pastor, I can get caught up in like, hey, I'm a shepherd. Who are the sheep who are lost? Who are the sheep who aren't here? But we're also a people in which we have individual stories in which we are meeting God. He is meeting us in our stories. And it's super encouraging. Like I can look around and, and almost all of you are I can see where God is like meeting you in your story. And sometimes it seems so slow, you know, that you're like, I, I don't know that I'm growing. But from my perspective, it's kind of like the person who goes away for a month and comes back in their garden's gone, boom. I see God at work in our stories, but here's the thing, we laugh about the way in which we thought about spirituality in whatever story we found ourselves as we were growing up. And that, that, that might be a church environment, it might not be a church environment, but those things define the way we continue to think about spirituality now. So like Toby Mac and DC talking, whether you listen to Naughty by Nature, whatever, but those that's not the point. The point is that you probably grew up with a lot of legalism if you grew up like I did. If you grew up in an environment that was defined by what you don't do. Or some of us grew up in environments that were defined by what we did, by spiritual activity. By spiritual disciplines and evangelism and church attendance and so since we're picking on Southern Baptists this morning, we can do that. We are still connected with Southern Baptists, and so um, we're connected with the SoMa family of churches. And none of it. we can talk about that stuff later. But growing up in SBC life, we would attend gatherings four times a day on Sunday. We would go to Sunday school. We would go to what we called famously "Big Church." Then we would go to something called discipleship training on Sunday evenings, which was another small group. We would sometimes fit youth choir practice in between that, and then we would have another church service on Sunday night. And there was kind of this idea, it seemed, that if we can just cram enough Bible knowledge down their throats, then they're going to love Jesus, and they're going to win the world for Jesus, and Jesus is going to return. I mean, there was more information on a Sunday than you could respond to in a given week. Like, you couldn't even really walk in obedience to all that information. There's just so much there to think about. But is that what real spirituality really is? In the passage that we're studying, Paul seems to speak not simply of avoiding sin. I mean, clearly, that's a part of the Christian life. But he also doesn't simply speak of engaging in spiritual disciplines, which is also an important rhythm in the Christian life. But Paul speaks of a person's being worthy of the gospel. Meaning all that they are. Not just uh, when they do their devotions, but even when they're playing with their kids. Not simply in church programs, but also how they interact with their co-workers. How they do their job. The big idea... In this little half of a verse that we're looking at today, the big idea in this message is this. It's not what you do, but why you do what you do that determines real spirituality. Let me say that again. It's not what you do, but why you do what you do that determines real spirituality. Look at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Your manner of life. So not just what you do, but how you approach life in general. Your attitude. This speaks to your mindset. It speaks to your motivations. Essentially, this speaks to your heart. Only let your heart be worthy of the gospel. I've got a quote by Ian Thomas. I've mentioned him before, I'm reading through the indwelling life of Christ, and he says, it's not the nature of what you do that determines the spirituality of any action, but the origin of what you do. He goes on to define that. There was never a moment in the life of Jesus that was without divine significance, because There was never anything He did, never anything He said, never any step He took which did not spring from a divine origin. There was nothing in His life which was not the activity of the Father in and through the Son. He lived out 33 years of availability to the Father so that the Father in and through Him might implement the program that had been established and agreed upon between the Father and the Son, before the world was ever created. Think about that for just a minute. For some of us, our idea of real spirituality, and I think this is for Christians who are really committed, who show up all the time, you know, they say there's, 20% of the people who do 80% of the work in most local churches. So I think that for most of that 20% of the people, those that we would look to and say, man, they're really committed. I think our idea of real spirituality is oftentimes to try to fit into our lives as much good for the glory of God as we feel is possible. Let me say that again. I think our culture has pulled us into thinking about this way of efficiency in which our idea of true spirituality is to try to fit as much good into our lives for the glory of God as we feel is possible. But that's not Jesus' example at all. And so if we're living outside of Jesus' example, we're not going to find joy and we're not going to find peace and we're not going to find life. Jesus' example was not an attempt to do as much as possible. Instead, he sought to only do what the Father instructed him to do. Jesus really, in some ways, had the the first less is more philosophy. That's why he would say in John 5.19, and I'm going to share two verses. I think both these verses were covered yesterday. John 5.19, So Jesus said to them, truly truly i say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise he can do nothing of his own accord is that how you live your life jesus i want you i want you to hear for a moment what jesus didn't do okay jesus didn't do the next best thing The scriptures tell us that Jesus never did the wise thing. Now, He did did do the wise thing, but that wasn't His way of thinking. What's the wise thing to do? What's the next best thing to do? He didn't do the thing that would result in the greatest good. I mean, He did, but that wasn't His frame of reference. He only did what He saw the Father doing. Jesus had a unique ability to see the Father's providential activities. Providential activities that were taking place in ordinary everyday life. And we, too, have the ability to seek the Father through the Spirit and to ask how He is at work in normal everyday life and to join Him. And that is where our joy and our peace in our life is found. That's why Jesus would go on to say, uh, this is another verse, John 5, 19 is one. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Many Christians are trying to do all the right things, but they're miserable. Because... They're busy doing things that God never intended them to do. And then there's other Christians who are completely missing out on good works that God has planned for them. Because they ignore God, if ever, consulting God regarding His ways, His direction, His will. So there's some Christians who are far busier than they should ever be. They say yes to everything that they can say yes to because... Giving God glory, isn't that the thing that we should do? We should do the most good in the time we have. It's not the way Jesus approached life. There's other Christians who are trying to fit God into their life and their values and the wise way that they have chosen to live. And that's not following God either. Because Jesus doesn't fit into our life. Jesus is our life. The big idea, it's not what you do, but why you do what you do that determines real spirituality. And the only, know, the only way really to know the why is to know Jesus. And be in relationship with Jesus and daily seek His direction. Literally, following Him in surrender and dependence day by day. The same way that we came to know Jesus. Surrender. Repentance is the same way that we follow Jesus. Surrender, independence, day by day. And that's why Jesus would go on to accuse the family. He would say it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. He would say what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. So Jesus is saying it's not what you do, it's why you do what you do. Jesus was clarifying to the Pharisees that religion, religious activity, they're not enough. We have to have a heart that's connected to God. And our joy comes in knowing and obeying Him. Because He's the only one that knows how to live. So, so Paul says, only Philippians, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy. Is your life worthy of the gospel of Christ? If you read that honestly, I think we come away with the honest question of how in the world, right? How in the world could our lives be worthy of the gospel of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins? I think the only way that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus is to walk in the same manner that Jesus walked. So, it's an ongoing relationship. It's one of the most... For me, if we're going to walk in the way that Jesus walked, right? He came and he set the example. So the only way to really live is to live the way that Jesus lived. And for me, one of the ways that has been most helpful, one of the most helpful practices or daily rhythms that I have found in order to walk with Jesus is something that the church has done for centuries. It's called the daily office. And that comes from a Latin phrase, and I'm not even going to go into the history, because you would forget it. It's not important. It's called the daily office. And I've introduced this to you before, but I want, to, I want to remind you of this, and I want to introduce it to you in this way. The daily office is not a discipline for us to live by. The daily office is not one more thing that we should do. It's not one more thing we have to do. It's it's not one more thing that God demands. The daily offices are a gift that are given to us. They are a gift. So I want you to write down three words. Cares, carnalities, and consolations. Cares, carnalities, and consolations. Borrowing this from Zach Eswine, and uh, if you're not familiar with Zach Eswine, many people have compared him to being a young Eugene Peterson type. Um, I like Zach Eswine. We heard him in San Diego uh, three years ago at the Soma Family uh, leadership retreat. And one thing I was surprised by is that as he spoke, and and he spoke on these daily offices, he spoke very slowly. He didn't seem to be in Much of a hurry. He said that even our preaching should reflect the kind of life that Jesus calls us to. Which is not a hurried life. I was taught that you should preach at 110% because people can listen twice as fast as you can talk. And so if you talk really fast, you won't lose their attention. (laughs) Zach says... Think about your cares, think about your carnalities, think about your consolations. I'm going to explain what those are. But the daily offices, they come at four different portions of the day. And so think about morning as being 6 a.m. to noon, or you could say sunrise to noon. In the past, it was thought as sunrise to noon. And then the afternoon would be from noon to 6 p.m. or from noon to sunset, depending on the time of the year. The evening would be from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. By the way, those are really some of the most important hours in our day. Oftentimes, they're the hours where we have the least amount of energy to give. But that's a problem because those are the hours that we spend with the most important people in our lives. And so if you find yourself oftentimes like me and you're worn out and you've got no energy left and you just kind of have this attitude of you just get what's left over, you probably should rethink the daily office and think about how you're living your life because those are the people who are most important in your life and so we should be saving time and resource and energy for them, they should receive... Men, look at me specifically. Our families should receive our best leadership. Men, there is something within us. There is a little switch within us. And it's part of our sinful nature that gives our best leadership to our work and gives less leadership to our families. And it's part of our sinful nature. Our families should receive our best leadership leadership. It's the most important work God's called us to. You believe that, and I believe it, but we don't act like it, because we we should be willing to leave a job any day. I'm willing to walk away from the ministry, if God tells me to. Not willing to walk away from my family, because God will never tell me the ministry God's given us. And then there's this fourth hour, or this fourth, yeah, time in the daily offices that are called the watches of the night and that's from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., and if you're under 40, you probably don't even need to think about them. If you're 40 and up, you think about them every night. For me, it's like somewhere in that 2 to 3 o'clock, and I'm not just talking about getting up and going to the restroom, right? It's It's like I've got a shoulder that wakes me up in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's just like my newest thing is, I just sleep for two hours and then I'm just wide awake. I mean, so like, unless you're unique and gifted, once you hit 40, you don't sleep through the night anymore. And the, that the watches of the night are all these times that you're awake. And or if you have young children who don't sleep through the night, then that would you would also know what the watches of the night are. And as you think about this, as you think about these portions of your day, so think about, you, you just... This doesn't have to be something that takes a long time. Um, I've done this the last couple of days. I I wrote this in my notes, and I was like, yeah, I've done this in the past. And um, I did this yesterday morning before I got out of bed. I did this this morning before I got out of bed. I did this during the middle of the night last night because I couldn't sleep. Um, So you just stop, and you just think, what are my cares? What are my cares? Are there any worries or anxieties from this previous portion that are still harassing my thoughts and my emotions. Cast them upon the Lord, because He cares for you. I woke up this morning, I was in the shower, and there was an individual um, that was on my mind that, in an unhealthy way, it was a care. I, I was caring way too much about someone that I was praying for, and... I just kept giving it to God. <laughs> and it kept getting worse. <laughs> and I realized I wasn't really giving it to God. And so I just began, God, any wisdom about this individual. And I'm concerned. I have cares about this individual. And I probably care too much. And God gave me some direction. So what are your cares? Another way to think about this is, as you think of your cares, you could also take the emotions that we looked at yesterday, the feeling chart, the eight primary emotions, and you could say, what are, what are my feelings? What are my emotions? Because those emotions will reveal your cares, right? What am I fearful of? Where am I lonely? Where am I sad? Where do I feel shame? Where do I feel gladness? Looking at those, primary, those eight primary emotions. And then cast them upon the Lord, because He cares for you. Pay special attention to your anxieties. Because anxiety is always an invitation. So think about your cares. And then think about carnalities. So are there any temptations from the previous portion of the day that are still loitering in me? Something that's still in me where it shouldn't belong. And as you think about those sins or those carnalities, seek the Lord's provision to resist and overcome those tempters before heading into the next portion of the day. And then think about your consolations. We don't really, we don't use that term anymore. I actually looked it up. The best definition of consolations is comfort. We have a very very bad view of the word consolations because what do you associate with consolations? Prize. Consolation prize. That's what I think of. It's like, oh, here's your consolation pi- prize. Th- thanks, Bob. You know, it's like, well, fortune. I grew up watching that. And that that means you didn't win, right? But no, consolations is comfort. And so are there good gifts God's given in the previous portion of the day? Give thanks. Take hold of the promises He's given in order to derive the intended pleasure of his love for you. Each of those promises, each of those comforts that he has given are meant to point us back to him, not for us to find comfort in that temporal comfort itself, but to point us back to him as the true comforter. And here's the deal. I want you to hear this. In our in our day and time, please hear this. If we aren't you may want to write this down. So I'm going to say it slow. If we aren't intentionally orienting the psyche toward gratitude, our minds automatically move toward disdain. Say it again. If we aren't intentionally orienting our psyche toward gratitude, our minds automatically move toward disdain. I watch ABC News at night. I grew up with a family that it was just kind of like part of our day that we would turn on the 530 news. And so I realized that I'm old school because I, I say, like, are we going to watch the news? Like, you can listen to the news. There's podcasting you don't want. But there's something about the 530 news. And on, on ABC, they always have this portion that's at the end of the news. And uh, I think it's called, like, they'll change it from time to time. I think currently, it's, I think it's called America Strong why do you think they put that feel-good story at the end of the news? Because the news is all bad. And if they didn't put that feel-good story, you would be left feeling like depressed. And eventually, you would probably say, I don't like watching the news. It makes me depressed. And so they put this feel-good story at the end. And that's the way our hearts are. If we aren't intentionally thanking God for the grace, the provision, the comfort, the consolations that He gives us in our day, then our minds will move toward disdain. Our minds will move toward negativity. Our minds will move toward sarcasm and cynicism. And here's the beauty of the offices. These aren't disciplines. They are gifts that God has given us where we can stop and we can pause I love this quote by Zach Wine. He says, almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. So, so I'm almost done today, but I just want you to think about that for a moment. Almost anything in life that truly matters will require you to do small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. I think that for most of us as Christians, we expect Jesus to do miracles all the time because we simply repented. Jesus, take away my anxiety. Jesus, take away my lust. Jesus, take away my envy. Jesus, take away my jealousy. Jesus, take away my anger. But if you look at repentance in the Bible, it's always ongoing. And so we just want Jesus to fix it. We want Him to, to heal us. And Jesus' plan is that we would learn to be dependent upon Him. And so oftentimes He doesn't fix it. Because if He fixed it, then we wouldn't be dependent upon Him. We'd say, look at me. I overcame. That's why I, was, I told Jeff, I came up and talked to Jeff yesterday in the middle of one of the sessions, and he was bragging on, I was sorry, I was talking to Vanderselt, and he was bragging on Schulte. They're both named Jeff. He's bragging on Schulte. He's like, man, he's a genius, and this stuff's so great. And I said, Vandersteel, yes, I love Schulte. Thank you for taking us back to God's word. Thank you for rooting what we're learning in Genesis one through three in God's story. Because otherwise, we know that you're teaching biblical truths, but if you don't root it in the story of God, then people are going to walk away thinking. Oh man, psychology saved me today. I learned all this stuff. I need to go get a counselor. I need to go fix myself. And then they're going to credit psychology and counselors for bringing healing. It's only Jesus that brings healing in our lives. Jesus wants us to come to Him. He wants us to walk in a way that we would deny ourselves daily and surrender to His direction. And Paul says... That if we do that, look at how he finishes this verse. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are. And he goes on and he shares all these things. And this is what we're going to look at next week. There's like five things that he shares. He says, I'll know that you're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel when you are standing firm. First is the first one. We'll get there in a minute. There's a list of five things, A through E. The first is standing firm. The second is that you are striving side by side. The third is that you are sanctified together. The fourth is that you're suffering together. And the fifth is that you're struggling together. I just list those. We're going to look at them next week. But he says, this is what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in this way. And one of the things that was my takeaway is, you can't do any of those by yourself. Like, all of those are done in community. So as you think about that, and as you think about the daily offices, as you think about what does it look like to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, I've got a reflection question for you that I, I want you to consider. Where is your manner of life not worthy of the gospel? So as you think about just how you live, And here's really what I'm getting at. Where are you struggling that Jesus hasn't called you to struggle in that way? I'll give you an example. Just to try to make it easy. Y'all can make fun of me if you want. It's fine. I've got thick skin these days, hopefully. I'm a pastor. So... This event that we put on yesterday, it was not just yesterday, but it was Thursday. It was all day Friday. I hosted 30 pastors here. We did a big lunch. Um, it was busy. On Thursday, I think I had... I looked at my watch at 1 o'clock on Thursday. I had already put in 10 miles worth of steps in this building. That's how thats how busy we were. And um, so... Thursday, I'm up here from like, I don't know, 7 in the morning, and uh, no, Friday. And I'm trying to rush out to dinner at 6, and our video computer dies. Like, great timing. We're about to host a huge event, and we're not going to have any video. It overheated. And so Robert's up here on his fifth anniversary. He's hustling to try to get it fixed. He's like, I'm going to take Samantha out to dinner. I was like, brother, you have got to take your wife out to dinner. And then Samantha's up here, and we're trying to get her out of the building. And then Michael's up here trying to fix stuff. And it's busy crazy. And I'm trying to get the building put back together. And I'm tired. I mean, I, I, I've been pushing, pushing, pushing. And I'm right over here. And this is how ridiculous I can get. Y'all can make fun of me if you want. It's fine. We had communion. And Chuck Gishwin, our friend, he had some gloves on. He had torn the bread and handed it to us. And, and there was like breadcrumbs all over the floor. And it's like time to be gone. I am exhausted. And what do you think I'm over here doing? No, I didn't even vacuum. I'm over here picking them up. I'm over here picking the breadcrumbs. Like, one more thing. Because what happens to me, I know my personality. When I get tired and I get unhealthy, I'm a reformer. So when I walk in a room, I'm always telling you what needs to be fixed, what's wrong, what could be improved. But when I get unhealthy, I start to obsess over things. And I'm picking those stupid breadcrumbs up. And and I heard the Lord say, did I call you to do that? Is that what you need to be doing right now? And I struggle with this. Like I'm sharing something with you and I'm being super vulnerable because these are things that my wife and I lay in bed and talk about at night. Like it's a it it's part of my sin nature and part of my story. And it's hugely unhealthy. But those are things for me that when God says, and I just thought, you know, I'm sitting here picking these breadcrumbs up. There may be one of my buddies who walks by here tomorrow, sees these breadcrumbs and remembers how God spoke to him when he took communion right here, and it's a blessing. Like, (laughs) leave them alone. It's not a big deal. Nobody else is going to notice them. Where is your manner of life not worthy of the gospel? Where are you living in such a way that God hadn't called you to live? And it's created all kinds of struggles for you in your life. It'll be the area of life that's not working for you. It'll be the area of life that is producing anxiety. That's causing your family life and your other relationships not to work. It'll be the area of life that you will be able to look at and identify, man, there's some major idolatry here for me that I need to repent of. And so what I want us to do is you think about that. Jeff and Jeff yesterday over and over again said... We're a confessional people. We're a confessional people. And so, and we're called to confess in community. And I just thought, we are so not good at that. And I think that we also don't receive healing as a result of that. And so as we come around communion in our missional communities, we're about to break up. If you're a guest who's here, you're going to see five small groups kind of break up all over the building. Just join the group that's closest to you. These are our missional communities. We meet throughout the week. And we're going to remind each other of the beauty of the gospel and have someone declare the gospel over your group and remind remind us of, of Jesus' beautiful work on the cross and His resurrection and how He walked in a manner that was worthy and how we can walk after Him. But as you do that, before you do that, I want you to do something. I want you to practice confession. And you don't have to confess the way I just confessed. And there's some things that you don't need to go into details about. What I just said, for me, confession would be, there are some areas in my life around work that are not in ministry, that are not worthy of the gospel. Which sounds really kind of messed up, doesn't it? But if you are here yesterday, you understand how that can happen because of our stories. And so just take a minute and confess. And then declare the gospel. And know that you're forgiven. And we're going to sing one, sing one last song. So let's take, let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you call us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And you gave us an example. So you didn't leave us alone in any way. And Jesus, you you make this so clear. And we get so confused, so busy. God, would you help us to see the areas in our life, not that not that need to be fixed, not where we want to be happier, but God, the areas that are really, they're unholy. That they, they, don't, they don't present lives in which we're kingdom citizens, in which we're worthy to declare the gospel. And God, would you help us to repent of those, to confess them? And God, we will walk with joy, and we will be happy. And we will find peace when we do that. So Holy Spirit, in this quiet moment, speak to our hearts point out something for each of us that's not worthy of the gospel and the way that we're living. God, give us the faith to believe that what we just heard was truly from you. And then give us the faith to repent and to walk in joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are missed to do communion together.
0: Alright, thank you guys again for joining us today, uh, back on our regular scheduled meeting tonight after kids camp, um, the week before last, so uh, thank you guys for, uh, for all the help that you are with that, uh, you guys are amazing, um, couple of announcements to be looking for, we're going to be scheduling a couple of dates, one for a covenant partners meeting and one for a family dedication, so be on the lookout for that, that information should be coming out in the next week or so, uh, so be looking for that and we'll get some things on the, on the uh, calendar. Our benediction this morning is Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7. I'm going to invite you guys to extend your hands and receive this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you guys again. You are dismissed.